Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We have Pete Reese here, and you can learn what him and his team are is up to by heading over to turningprofit.com. What a great domain. Easy to remember, everybody. Turningprofit.com. And uh, Pete and his crew are working on land flipping, and they have a goal for 2023 of $10 million in revenue this year. And it sounds like you're making a good headway on, on that. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Jack. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we're we're well on our way. Uh, we closed out January with uh, looking over at my whiteboard over here about seven hundred twenty-eight thousand, and on track to do a pretty similar amount here in February. So we're on our way. So I got I got to ask, you know, land flipping is kind of a niche pro- project. There, how did you find your way to land as your real estate? Yeah, well, it's it's. Um, I never would have thought that I would have ended up in the land space. You know, I never considered myself a land expert in any way. I started my real estate career with single family homes, like a lot of people. I've been a residential real estate broker in um, California since 2006, but before that, I was even flipping homes. So that's how I got into the real estate, kind of flipping homes. Saw some people on the HGTV, and it looked pretty easy. So I thought we could do it, and we kind of stumbled our way through it and ended up doing really well in, in you know, house flipping until the market crashed here in about 2007-ish. And then I became an REO listing broker for the banks. Luckily, I had my license and it kind of perfectly positioned me to you know, do well in, in the uh, market that you know, a lot of other people in real estate were really struggling in. So I was thankful for that. So I was just working on for a number of years, I was just focused on listing properties for banks. They're, they're foreclosure listings. Did that for a while, but I ended up getting um, some good relationships going with some large uh, companies that were just buying you know investment properties cash. So I was finding them deals for, uh, for quite some time as well. And that was completely my focus. And I uh, got out of real estate altogether for a little while. And we, um, myself and my wife, we had a business, or we still do have a business about related to blogging and blogger training and travel blogger training. So that was the main focus of us for, for a number of years. And it was a great, uh, it's a great business. And, but I really got the itch to get back into real estate investing. And that's where I was just kind of reading, doing a lot of research online, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, like what model I wanted to pursue in order to get back into the real estate game. Stumbled on some people talking about land flipping and it sounded really interesting to me because there were people, you know, commenting, "Hey, I bought this property for ten thousand, and I sold it for thirty thousand, you know, after a couple months." And I thought, "Well, I'd love to triple my money on every deal." And I figured that would be easy, so I bought a training program on that. Kind of dove in, tried to really understand the whole land flipping model. The first year, which was twenty twenty one, where we sold, resold our first property, we did um, we did uh, one point two million and some change that year. And then in uh, 2022, ended up the year at about 3.5 million in revenue, and about 50% gross profit margin. So on average, we're you know buying a property and we're trying to double our money after all expenses. So buy a property for 
20,000 and net, you know, 40,000 at the end of the day. So, uh, and then, you know, 23, 23, as we talked about, we're, you know, trying to hit 10 million. So I think we could do it. So that, those are some shockingly good numbers that you were just throwing out there. Thank uh, you. What <laughs> what are what are some of the strategies there? Are you focusing on certain parts of the country? Are you? Let's start with the market. Yeah, so we're we're pretty much in um, on the East Coast right now is where most of our focus has been. We purchased properties kind of all over the country, but we focus most of our marketing to the East Coast. I want to expand well beyond that, and we're going to expand well beyond that this year. But we've built a lot of great contacts on the ground. In, in a number of the states. And that's kind of why we focused our efforts there so far. Do you, I've, I've run into other land flippers and it seems like it'd be a pretty popular strategy. Do you do blind offers or are you, are you going in with a different approach? Yeah. So we generate all of our deals with direct mail and blind offers. It's, it's a two page letter. First page is kind of explaining who we are and what we can do for them. Second page is an actual, just a one page purchase agreement offer with their property information on it and how much we're willing to pay for it. And um, obviously since it's a blind offer and we're sending out, at this point we're sending out 50,000 letters a month. So it's impossible for us to research every single one of those properties in detail. So it's just, those prices are based off of the averages for a particular area, maybe a particular county. And then when the leads respond and uh, then we look at the property deeply and see what we can do. You know, some people respond and they're upset that I sent them a, a low offer. Some people respond and say, oh, I'll, I'll go for it. Some people respond and say, hey, I'll, I'm interested in selling, but I need more. But, you know, when, I, when, they, when they do respond, it's a matter of starting the conversation and seeing specifically what we can do. So. Do, you, do you start at that half Mark, is that where you? you uh, no, typically we're we're depending on the market and how busy that market is. We're offering anywhere between thirty to forty percent of you know a full retail value. Now, part sure. of our system is that when we put a property back on the market, we are listing at at below retail amount. So, depending on you know how busy that market is, you know we could be listing at eighty or ninety percent of retail value. The whole goal is to sell things quickly. So, on average, we've been able to. Uh, hold our properties for about 60 days. So it's keeping the money moving as quickly as possible. And then that really accelerates our portfolio value and accelerates our revenue, obviously. Right. So how do you accumulate these leads or the, you've, you're finding these properties? Is it just through like what we, I typically for a single family homes, I'm, I'm pulling a list source list or a property radar and go from there. Is that a similar process with what similar process? Yeah. I'm using at this point, I've got a, um, most of my data I'm pulling from um, data tree. It's called first American company, but yeah, it allows us to build a list and it's pretty much a pretty broad approach. I sometimes say a shotgun approach because we're taking a particular County. We're taking vacant land in that County and we're then looking at a particular acreage range. So it could be depending on the place, it could be five acres and up you know, all the way to, you know, thousand or 2000 acre parcels, something like that. But in, um, and then we're filtering out kind of all the obvious non-sellers, you know, it might be owned by a city or a County or the railroad or utility, something like that places I know would not sell to us. So we, we'd scrub all those names out of the list and then we build our mailer from there. Are you niching down even further? Like, it sounds like you're, you're talking about larger parcels, um, you're, you're probably not trying to find vacant land within a city limits, for example. 
Yeah, exactly. Most of our stuff is would be considered uh, rural land, you know, maybe outside of those towns and outside of the of the cities. There's some investors that primarily focus on just those in the city type infill lots, they call them. But the, we, we've had we've had a lot of success with just the rural acreage and, uh, you know, mostly larger parcels, five to 10 acres and above. And how's your disposition look? Do you are you selling them to local farmers? Are you selling it to recreational people looking for hunting land? Yeah. And do you just is it a cash sale or is are you financing it out? Yeah. So most of the time, um, uh, almost in almost every circumstance, we're using a local land broker to resell the property for us. So they'll list the property on the MLS. They'll put it in land specific sites. They'll send it out to their buyers list and do all the normal marketing stuff that they do. But uh, so I don't have a lot of direct contact with the end property buyer. But I know that a lot of times that the end property buyer is someone purchasing the property for recreational purposes or maybe the potential to actually build on the property or the thought, at least maybe at some point that they would build on that property. And, um, and then, yeah, so, you know, we use the, we use the local land brokers to handle that, that whole side of the business for us. So we don't, we don't really get into, into the marketing at all. And I think you had another question, but it slipped my mind. (laughs) No, you know, it's really interesting. It's, it sounds like you went from, you know, house flipping to land and, is there anything that you're doing with these properties that that somebody I, should be aware of? Yeah, I mean, we are doing some some minor value add stuff sometimes. And when I say minor, these are things like clearing some paths on a property so people can access them. You know, some of these properties have been untouched for many, many years and you can't even the brush is so thick you can't even walk in them. So in a situation like that, it really makes sense for us to hire a, a local uh, brush clearing company and they'll come out and they'll cut some paths. So the potential buyer can then walk through the property and see exactly what it is that they're buying. Um, could be something like getting a survey done. Uh, it could be getting a perk test done, you know, minor things like that. Generally, sometimes we will actually do a minor subdivision as well. And what I mean by that is, you know, in California where I live, a subdivision, uh, splitting up properties is a very difficult process, but Many of these states that we're working in, it's a very simple process and simply a matter of hiring a surveyor to chop it up on paper and then recording it with the county. And that's that's, you know, when you're doing like a five lots or less, that's generally some all you have to do in some of these states. And then we just sell off those parcels individually. So if we bought a 100 acre property, we might split it into five 20 acre properties and then sell off each 20 acre parcel individually, which will allow us to get more for the property. So we'll do that sometimes, but most of the time, you know, we're not doing anything very extensive with them at all. So, you know, getting into this for the first time, there's a lot of people that are going to be listening to this episode and it almost sounds too good to be true in certain aspects. We're, we're working with distressed property to remove that distressed property off the land and you're just dealing with the land. It's almost a dream come true for some of us. What, uh, what are some of those things that you wished you would have known before you started getting into this area? Yeah. Well, so we've really, we've really honed our process in, you know, over the the last couple of years. And one of our big things is always trying to find a a good local land expert broker or agent to use in the process. So we loop them in on our due diligence side. You know, when, after we get under contract, we're asking them for their opinion on the property, what they think they could resell it for. And then obviously using them to, to relist the property as soon as we close on it. 
So having someone that's a, actually a local expert means everything. I mean, because we could tell a lot from our computer screens, but we can't tell everything. So that's a that's a big thing that at the beginning we were trying to list some properties ourselves, with flat fee MLS, or putting it on Facebook Marketplace or things like that. But it's uh, I'm a big believer that that whole side of the 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 selling side of the business is something that you really shouldn't you should leave that to the experts really. So I, sure. I just I just think that you know the the ten percent commission that we pay we do pay you know ten percent commission to these brokers as well because I want them to want to work with us. But uh, I, I think that they will, in most cases, they're going to be able to get 10% more than I would be able to if we just listed it ourselves, you know? Yeah. Well, that's, that actually sounds pretty high. Is that, is that pretty, pretty high in, in your market to, uh, to the, sell the, the 10% partner? commission? Um, yeah. Yeah. So the land is, uh, you know, so a lot of these properties are, you know, maybe in the 50 to a hundred thousand dollar range or, you know, even, even a little more than that. But you know, if we're, if we're trying to, you know, I'm sure there are land brokers out there that would do it for, you know, five or 6% or something like that. But I don't even, I don't even try to negotiate that at all. I, from the beginning, that's just our, it's just our, our thing. You know, we, we have a conversation. We say, Hey, we're going to pay you 10%. We're looking for some help on the buy side to help us evaluate these properties. And we want to make it worth your while. So, you know, if I'm trying to pay a, you know, a land broker, you know, 6% commission for selling a $50,000 property, that's that's a $3,000 commission, which would then be split somehow between them and a buyer's agent. And then they have a broke, you know, they, they might have some sort of split with their broker. By the time they're said and done, they may not be making much at all. So I, I just want to, I just want to make it worth their while. And, uh, and the small difference in commission percentage is, uh, you know, it, it doesn't make much of a difference in, in the bottom line for me. Sure. Just to remind everybody, head over to turningprofit.com. And uh, Pete and his wife have a podcast there, too, called Turning Profit. So take a listen to that if you want to learn this strategy more in detail. So I'd be interested in knowing, like, what are some of your other due diligence items that you you review then when you are acquiring a, a property? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. We've got, like, a whole due diligence process, basically. And as soon as we get a property under contract, it kind of kicks off a whole chain reaction of events for us. First of all, we buy every property through um, an attorney, title company, escrow company, whatever standard for that particular area. And so we get title insurance on that. So we make sure that the title is, is obviously okay and review that title policy to make sure there's nothing kind of weird in there. We've seen things over over the uh, last couple of years that some one of the properties had a something that was recorded on it that said it was previously used as a dump site. So it, it was nothing that we could tell from just being out at the property and maybe all the garbage or something was, you know, buried under the ground or something. But that the fact that that was recorded, you know, on that um, on that property with the county, it, uh, it it was a good thing because then we were able to, to back out of that deal because I definitely do not want to buy a dump site. But we do other stuff like we have a whole checklist of people we call and um, we ha- call the county or the city or whatever municipality is in charge of that property. We ask some basic questions uh, about buildability. You know, obviously, what's the zoning? Um, what, uh, you know, are there any restrictions on building or things that we should know about? Kind of what are the setbacks? You know, some of these things don't really come into play on some of these larger properties, but we do go through the list also. Have there been any, we look for things like, have there been any failed perk tests in the past, you know, that, uh, 
that would make it tough to put a septic system in there. We find out about utilities, where the utilities are, how close they are to the property. Um, these are none of these things that I'm doing personally. I've got like a team of people that that kind of they each have their individual role and they're they're making uh, doing these due diligence on each of these properties. And then uh, the, one of the big things is as soon as we get a property under contract, we hire a photographer to go out to the property, walk the property uh, and uh, do drone photos as well. And sometimes drone videos and just uh, give us their report and what the property is like on the ground. Because sometimes you just can't tell what a property is like from satellite images. And once you, you get those back from the photographer, sometimes it'll lead to more questions or lead to us uh, backing out of the property if there's like a if backing out of the purchase if there's some sort of huge problem that we were unaware of you know like one time um, recently we had a photographer go out to a property and there was all these 55 gallon rusted drums of some sort of leaking fluid and you know <laughs> I definitely don't want to buy some sort of toxic waste uh, type facility because <laughs> mm-hmm. then it's a liability more than an asset. Yeah, it's it's really sounds like you rely pretty heavily on those boots on the ground, whether it's the broker or or now this photographer, but you've really mm-hmm. found ways to make use of this information. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a big part of our process. Um obviously, I don't ever see um any of these properties. I have gone out to um we took a road trip um in 2021, so we actually did visit a few of the properties on the road trip. But aside from that, never seen any of these properties personally. Well, can you share us a, a couple stories? Let's start with a story of a of an acquisition that didn't go your way. Didn't go my way. Okay. Well, thankfully, uh, knock on wood, I haven't lost money on any deal to this point. Uh, there are a couple where I made, you know, like a hundred dollars on the deal or five hundred dollars on the deal. Uh, obviously, those weren't losers, but those were definitely not worth the time. Uh, so we had a couple of those, you know, one that I can think of that, that taught me a, a big lesson was it was a landlocked property. And now I don't buy landlocked properties because of this, this property and, and landlocked just means that there is no deeded access, you know, like there's neighbors, there's parcels all around the property, but, and then this is like an Island in between those, those other properties. And there's no way to get a road in or any sort of like legal or deeded access. So this one property that I bought, it was actually in a fairly large city, you know, kind of the suburbs of a fairly, fairly large city, but within the city limits. And I think it was a 13 acre property. And it was, uh, we sent in an offer and, you know, the offer price I think was, I don't know, it, it was, it was pretty low, 15, 17,000, something like that. Um, and then they came back, the seller came back and accepted it. Then we looked at the property in detail after they accept and we thought, oh no, this is landlocked. We can't buy it, you know, plus it's got some wetlands on it and some different things like that. So, you know, at the time I was under the mindset of like, hey, I'll buy any property as long as it's cheap enough. And I don't do that now. I only buy (laughs) what I consider to be quality properties. So in this case, it was definitely not a quality property, but I figured if I could get it cheap enough, I'll be able to resell it at a cheap price and I'll still make some money. And this was maybe my fifth or seventh deal, something like that. And so I went back and I said, Hey, uh, I'll pay 3000 for it. You know, it's, it really doesn't have a lot of value to me and and whatever, but, and then they, they came back and they said, okay, we'll take it. Then I, then I thought, well, okay, I guess I'm going to buy this landlocked property, but I put it on the market for 19, nine or something like that. And I actually had a lot of activity, but 
people, the buyers didn't understand what landlock meant. And they didn't really, you know, all lots and lots of questions, lots of activity, but no real buyers. And I had to keep producing this property, keep producing, keep producing it. And I think it sold it for 6,500 or something like that, which, you know, I netted maybe a couple thousand dollars, it, it, but it, it, ju- it just cost me so much time and energy and kind of hassle that um, I, I learned my lesson. And obviously it wasn't a loss, but it was, it was still a lesson, um, a lesson that I learned that I don't want to deal with landlocked properties anymore. So. Sure. Well, share one of your biggest wins. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, well, this is an interesting one. Um, I, I don't know that it's, it's not like a super home run deal or anything. It was actually a pretty good one. This, this property was a, an actual lake that I bought one time and it was, um, it was kind of a suburban area where there was a subdivision created around this lake that like this lake was the focal point and the seller that we reached out to responded and uh, it was a similar situation where you know we just had the information that this was a 25 acre property or something like that and um they responded to our offer you know of 25,000 or something said they'd take it. And then when I reviewed it, I looked at it and I'm like, okay, well, this is a lake. I can't, I can't buy a lake. I, I, what am I going to do with it? Hmm. And it had a little piece of land next to it. That was, that was part of it as well. And it, it was just odd, you know, like somehow this guy, um, he had inherited it. Basically he was, he had inherited it from the developer that developed this community. So he had this lake all these homes were around the lake and they tip they it was strange because I would have normally something like that is owned by the, the homeowners association, you know, but there was no HOA in this community. It was actually a nice community. Um, so I came back and I said, I can't pay 25,000. He goes, well, what, what would you, what would you buy it for? And I said, um, I don't know, 10,000. And so he's like, okay, I'll do it. And then that scared me a little bit. I was like, what am I going to do with the lake? Anyhow, I went ahead and bought, <laughs> I closed on the property and I bought it, listed it with a, a local land broker. And he immediately started getting calls from people that lived on the lake. You know, that's what I thought was going to happen. I thought someone that lived around the edge of the lake would want to buy it. And so they were, they were interested. They were upset that I had owned this lake and what was I going to do with it and all this stuff. And long story short, I think we listed it for 49,000, ended up selling it for 39,000. And what, what ended up happening is the homeowners around that lake kind of pitched in together they formed the homeowners association like they should have from the beginning and and then they bought it from us so it was kind of a win win i think and you know we ended up um almost tripling our money on that deal or whatever but and uh it was a unique one and uh, so i mm-hmm. it's not the only lake i bought either i bought another one too but and i made money <laughs> on that one too that's so. interesting i i guess i would have never thought that that would ever happen that, that yeah uh, crazy lake, yeah somebody owns the the lake <laughs> yeah well it concerned me a little bit because there was a dam on there and then the people were try- telling me oh you've got to maintain this dam if you're gonna if you're gonna hold this property and then i thought well i'd like to just work out a deal with these people i don't want to maintain any dams <laughs> <laughs> so with, with all of that i i would imagine that some of the people that you re- that receive your offer like this you mentioned that they, they probably they're going to be calling in somewhat upset how has that situation been, or how do you have you coached your people to handle those type of agri- agitated? People? Yeah, well, there is a certain percentage of people that are going to be upset at the at the low offers, 
And I understand that it's obviously this is not for everyone, um, but we have a call service. We have a 24 hour call answering service that we con- contract with and they have a script that we give them and they just, um, you know, if someone's upset in any way, we instantly just say, we have them say, you know, hey, we'll take you off the list. Sorry. You know, we won't mail you again. And I mean, just leave it at that. And then we take them off our list and don't mail them again. So, mm-hmm. you know, but some people just want to want you to, you to hear them out and they want to be very upset about this. Uh, we do get letters sometimes people in the mail, very angry <laughs> at me or us or, whatever the case may be. And we just chuckle and laugh those off. I mean, what else are you going to do? So certain percentage of the people are, are going to be upset. Certain p- uh, percentage of the people are going to be interested. Certain percentage of the people are going to be interested, but they just want to renegotiate the price. So we were just interested in filtering those people out. Yeah. I've had some of my uh, biggest wins thanks to people calling in because they're upset and then they referred me to somebody else. <laughs> interesting. That's so. interesting. Yes. Yeah, flipping the tables on them, right? Yeah. So it, yeah, it, it, it can happen if you're sometimes, like you said, you just have to let them vent a little bit. And next thing you know, they're your best friend. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so, well, just to remind everybody one more time, head over to turningprofit.com. Like I said, I can't believe you, you got that domain name. That's a, that's a really <laughs> easy one to remember. And uh, I'm, I'm curious, you, you mentioned you had a business or you have this podcast with your wife. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And did she have ac- a- active role in your current day-to-day operations as well? She's uh, she's like the uh, behind-the-scenes person. She d- she deals with all the financial stuff, the the money, the wires, the bookkeeping, everything, keeping us organized on that end of things. And obviously, we discuss everything and all our deals and everything together. I'm more of the front-end side of things, and she's she's more of the back-end side of things there. Um, but we've been partners in uh, marriage and business, so for about uh, what is it, twenty three years now. So it's uh, it, it's worked out great, and we each kind of have our own roles and kind of stay in our own lanes, and, and it's worked out worked out really well. So the podcast was really it was her idea; she wanted to do it for for quite some time, and I've just been so busy, you know, running our actual business that we didn't have time to really get it off the ground. But uh, we dedicated some time this past year. It took us about six months to actually get it up and going the way we wanted it to. So we're very excited about it. We're about uh, 10 or 11 episodes in. So we're just really in the, in its infancy, but we're having a lot of fun with it and, you know, learning a lot along the way too. Any uh, tips or tricks that you would point to people working with your spouse? I think the vision of labor is a, is a very um, important part of our dealings. You know, like I, if she's if she's got something on her end, I just uh, you know anything related to the the money side or the back end side, I defer to her. Like she's the decision maker and all that stuff. And on the deals and all that stuff, she, I know that she she trusts me and kind of defers to me on this side of things. But anytime that that we're not in complete agreement on something, we just won't do it. You know, like if it's if if one of us feels very strongly about something. You know, the other one is not going to push things to and just override the other person. It's just, you know, it's a collaborative thing and it has to has to work out well that way. So, no, that's good advice. Well, uh, Pete, I kind of warned you. I I always like to wrap things up with some rapid fire questions if you want to give those a shot. Sure. That'd be great. So here's your chance to bust a real estate investing myth that has driven you a little crazy. What would it be? Ooh, real estate investing myth. Well, I know there are a number of them um, that, 
you know, there's a lot of people that talk about how, how you need need money to to make money, and that's definitely not the case, especially you know in land flipping too, because um, you there's always if you can find the deal, uh, there are always people that are willing to partner with you that may have the money, and and uh, and and you will both benefit in those situations. So that, that's a big myth that I hear people, you know, you know, most, mostly people that don't really know how the real estate world. Um, you know, works like they, they say, Oh, I'd love to get into that, but I don't have the money, you know? So there's always, there's always the money, the money side can always be taken care of. You just have to find the deals first. So. Sure. You know, that, that does lead me to a different question. You know, does it seem to be a, a, a hurdle to get over when you're dealing with land? Is that, is the purchase, some of the numbers you were saying, it sounds like the purchase prices are considerably less than if you're dealing with a house. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the properties that we buy at this point are in the 20,000 to a couple hundred thousand dollar range. So that's kind of their, the real sweet spot. And the, the thing is you have to buy them all cash because there are really no hard money lenders for raw land. But, you know, so we buy all of our properties cash at this point. Uh, we have partnered on a couple of the larger deals. You know, we bought a 650 some acre property and we partnered on that one. And when I say partner in in this business, it pretty much means that you find the deal. Then there is a money partner that will come in. They'll send the money to close the transaction. And then you both split the profits at the end of the day. So it's, it's a real win-win, especially if you're doubling your money or coming close to it. And, uh, you know, for instance, on that one, that larger property that I mentioned, it was a 656 acre property. The purchase price was um, 315,000. So they wired the money to close the deal. And then we marketed it, sold it. Eh, I think it was about four months later, something like that for 595, uh, after closing costs and expenses and everything. I think we each ended up with a, a wire for 108,000, something somewhere around there. So it was a, it was a win-win. They made a good return on their money. And obviously I brought the deal, so I had the expenses associated with that. But other than that, there was no other money commitment needed for me. Hmm. So, and that's interesting. What book would you recommend everybody checking out, or what are you reading right now? Well, I'm not reading anything right now. Um, but uh, the most recent one that I that I read that I really enjoyed and it kind of sent me down a whole rabbit hole of looking into different things was um, a book called Hundred Million Dollar Offers by uh, Alex Hermosi. And I, I know that book is all over the place, but if you're into marketing and um, and maybe having a product or service to offer, it's definitely a, a goldmine of information. It, allows you, it makes you look at things in a different way. At least me, it did. So $100 million offer. Yeah, it really, it really. I do recommend that one. So. Oh, okay. All right. What was your biggest business mistake you've made and what did you learn from it? Well, the biggest business mistake that I made was I got out of real estate investing when the market crashed in 2007. So I, I did the exact opposite of what I should have done. At that point, I should have been finding a way to double down and buy as many properties as we could. But instead, I completely backed away from real estate investing because I got gun shy about it. And, uh, you know, any of those properties that were bought from during that whole time frame, um, you know, people have, especially here in Southern California, they've, they've you know, made a tremendous amount of money on all this, all those deals. You know, I, I had a lot of clients and investors that we were working for and all the properties that we sold, you know, 
through the banks and everything like all those properties are worth way way more than what they were at that that point in time but live and learn <laughs> that kind of leads me to if you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice what would that be yeah i think that that piece of advice would be that business is not necessarily about reinventing the wheel like i always had this thought that in order to be successful in business you have to come up with a very unique concept and then just kind of execute on it and then you, you know you'll do well in business but business really isn't about that at all i mean it's about taking a, a an established business model that other very smart people have figured out already and then just taking that and duplicating it maybe putting your own little spin on it if you want but taking an established business model learning everything you can about it, and then just putting it into place like there's nothing you don't need to you don't need to develop the you know some sort of latest greatest thing that's you know I mean those those are great too if you if you could do it but that's definitely not the way most businesses are successful. So yeah, that's that kind of leads to my the tagline to the show. I don't know if you saw that, but we say frequently you can either put in the ten thousand hours or learn from somebody who's already put that in, put that made that investment. That's- that's right. Yeah. Like, like why, you know, why take the hard path? <laughs> right. So I'm, this is the only one I'm going to time you on. You got 60 seconds to give okay. everyone one piece of advice that they can implement today in their business, their real estate investing business today, right now, what would it be? It's all about getting the, the lead flow coming in, you know, your generation, your deal flow and whatever that is, like we use direct mail. And that's one thing that, is a non-negotiable in our business. We send out 50,000 letters a month at this point, and it goes out like clockwork, 25,000 letters on the 1st and 25,000 letters on the 15th, unless it falls on the weekend. But that taking care of that, just that one thing makes everything else fall into place. Like if you've got the deals coming in, everything will be good. But if you are, if you, you know, let that lead flow stop or slow down or something like that, then you're going to have issues. It's going to be a, always a roller coaster. But if you could just set that one thing, that one thing can be on autopilot and um, everything else will take care of itself. So no, great advice. Well, Pete, is there a question or concept you wish we would have covered here today? Well, um, just the one thing I, I would want to mention on the website, turningprofit.com, if land, if land flipping is at all interesting to you at all, one, one of the things that I try to do is be transparent as transparent as possible. So every month I do a a monthly income report on there. So I break down, you know, like what revenue we did that month in our business, how much gross profit we did, every single deal we bought, like what we paid for, what we sold for, sold it for, how many days we held it for, bunch of notes on each property. So every single month I do that. And my goal by doing that is just to show you kind of what's possible in the business. That stuff wasn't out there when I started and I and it would have really accelerated my my learning curve quite a bit. And uh, and then I just I started a um, whole community on land flipping. So that's uh, I've got that linked on our website and everything. So if you're interested, you know, I think it would be uh, a great spot for you to learn quite a bit more about the business. And I'll make sure to have those as clickable links in the show notes. I really appreciate your time here, Pete. And if you found any value in the, today's episode, do us a quick favor and share it with someone you know that might be interested in land flipping or or just uh, the transparency that Pete is bringing to the, to our audience here today. So really appreciate your time. I hope you'll come back again sometime. Well, I would love to come back anytime you'll have me. 
Have you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing? If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.